Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. I love doing these intros. It's good to be at this point. I usually record the intro and closure to the podcast as one of my last bits of editing before the show hits the world wide web. I'm excited to share our conversations with you and I try to imagine what you might be doing while listening to the show. I tend to do most of my personal podcast listening when I'm driving or mowing. I'm sure many of you fall into that same category as well, but there are probably a few of you surviving in the cubicle, counting down days until the next season opener and a few more of you discipline types listening in from the treadmill or exercise bike. Wherever you are and whatever you are doing, thank you. I'm happy you are joining in on the conversation with us. So anyway, enough of that sappy stuff. Episode 5. This is where Brandon wows us with his 30 years of hunting experience. We are talking about stand placement. This is one of the most challenging aspects for inexperienced hunters and even one of the areas where there's the most room for improvement for veteran hunters. So, start taking some mental notes. Go ahead and download and save this episode to re-listen to it again this fall when you're driving to your hunting property at zero dark 30. And now, here's episode 5 of the First Gen Hunter Podcast. Stand Placement. Welcome back uh, to another episode. This is episode five. Today we're going to talk about stand placement. And as usual, we have our favorite person on the podcast, <laughs> Mr. Brandon Martin with us from Hunt Fish Life. Brandon, Hello. how are you, yes. man? It's been a while. Doing great. Hey, we're, we're at least here out here in Delaware. We're uh, less than 100 days until the start of hunting season. So getting excited about that. Always good when you tick down below that 100 mark. So getting excited, getting very excited. Yeah, I was, let's see, what, I think I was just like kind of counting months in my head. And it's like, wow, we're, we're closer to hunting season than than being farther from hunting season yes. if that makes sense we're over that 50 yes. percent a 50 percent mark and, and honestly we're over halfway done with 2020 now which i don't think anyone's <laughs> disappointed about <laughs> but uh, man. no kidding I, yeah what, what did i see the other day it was uh it was about the the cicadas like i don't know if you saw that article about the cicadas being you know underground for 17 years oh and yeah they're gonna they say the article is like and they're coming out now because yes it's 2020 <laughs> yep yep what what a year to end your uh your long <laughs> dormancy yes right oh, man well I, I have a really cool story I want to tell you, but that's not on the plan for tonight. It's hey. really cool. It involves let's hear, let's hear it. it. It involves um this this uh wildlife sighting that my wife and I had and it being the first documented sighting in this particular county. 
Nice. Uh, since since data was being kept, I think since 2006, since this study's been going on, so almost wow. 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just right place, at the right time. Yeah. And, um, but I'll 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 keep everybody just just waiting to hear what it was. Just, I don't want to make suspense. it too, yeah. I don't want to make it too too big of a deal though because I mean. Oh man! All right. well, can't I can't wait to hear it. But, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to wait till next time because tonight, okay. as promised in episode four, we are supposed to talk about our most embarrassing moments hunting. Mm. But I went ahead, even though this is first gen hunter. I mean, hunting and fishing—they're so closely tied. Honestly, us, sure. Us hunters, fishing is what gets us through. Um, <laughs> Well said. Well said. February and yes. and March, and then on, you know, up till turkey season. Then we can hunt a yes. little bit, and then we're we're back into focusing solely on fishing until the fall hunting season. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we we can include fishing in this as well. But um, I thought it'd be kind of fun to, and probably a little bit therapeutic for other hunters especially first gen hunters where you're you're just trying to figure everything out i'm still in yep. that boat in a, in yep, a big yep. way um <laughs> i don't know at, at 30 years in you probably don't make any mistakes anymore but, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no no it's funny you know because we, you know, sometimes when you're when you're so far in you know you sometimes things happen you're like man i can't even I can't even believe it. You know, it just, it, it almost is more surprising at that point. So trust me, I've got, I've got a couple of doozies I can share. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear that. And, and I'm excited to not be the only one to be laughed at tonight. Yes. So yes. That, well, please, well, please. Hey, as the, as the true first gen hunter here, kick us off. I, I'm excited to hear this. Sure. Sure. So <laughs> the man, I, I think I told in the last episode, You've already heard this one, but it's it's yeah it's definitely one of the best ones. The one where Jake, my brother Jake, and I were out hunting, and I I hit that buck, and then I take his <laughs> yes. muzzle loader, and yes. there's just nothing. And uh, of course, so I pull pull the trigger, hammer drops, you know, <laughs> just just a click, and yes, and muzzle loaders, of course, are are notorious for hang fires, misfires. You know, basically, oh yeah, trigger Having goes click several times. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yep. and not not everything happens, but mm-hmm. so that's just what I blamed it on. But then when we get back to the truck and we're putting stuff away, and you know, I'm like, hey, Jake, you know, you're gonna have to deal with that that hang fire. We're gonna have to use a bullet puller and and mm-hmm. uh, pull that out of there and. He's he's like you know now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of wonder <laughs> if I didn't put any powder in there. <laughs> so he <laughs> he unscrews the breech plug, and sure enough, there's the there's the uh, sabo. That's yep, I, th- yep, I think yep. that's the right sabot. Yeah, sabot yep. or sabo. Yep. I've, mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. hear it pronounced both ways, but mm-hmm. but uh, there it is sitting there, and uh, oh man, <laughs> all the way down at the. Right up against the breech plug, <laughs> yeah, and, yep. and so that was that was pretty embarrassing. More for him, I guess. But you know, I'm, I'm the one. I was his I was his hunting apprentice mentor, 
So yes, right. That's kind of on me in a way, I guess. But <laughs> well, hey, like I said last time, you were just you were just making sure that you were going to be the one to get the deer. So hey, you're just that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> that's right. It was supposed to work the other way around. He's supposed to click, click, and then I'm supposed to clean up for him. But <laughs> right. <laughs> no, so that one was pretty embarrassing. But fast forward a year, we're back. Yes. Jake and I are hunting. Um, of course I asked him about 12 times if he had powder in his muzzleloader before we went out into the field. (laughs) And, uh, so we, uh, both end up being successful on that trip, but because, because, um, you know, I've, I've killed, I think at that point I I had killed one deer and, and the year before, of course, I, I shot that other nice probably eight point buck but you know unfortunately we didn't end up recovering him and yes and um so it'd been i guess really two seasons since i'd had a chance to field dress a deer Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and um i don't want to give too much away because we'll we're going to listen to jake's story but but um in an interview (laughs) later on a good first gen hunter story Jake Jake was uh, successful, and so here we are. We're we're looking at this dead deer, and we're like, <laughs> uh, "Now what?" And and the first time I I uh, field dressed a deer, I had a. Um, it wasn't the first time I'd gone deer hunting. I'd gone deer hunting the season before and wasn't successful. Mm, um, so okay. the, so this guy kind of was like, "Hey, you know." why don't you come hunting with me this year and I'll kind of show you the rope. So he, he really helped me with the field mm-hmm. dressing part. Mm-hmm. So being now the person, you know, a couple of years later, that's in charge mm-hmm. of it. It's kind of like, Whoa, <laughs> what, yeah. do I, what do I do? I just couldn't, I couldn't like quite remember exactly where you start cutting. And mm-hmm. so we're like mm-hmm. sitting there on our phones with terrible phone service, trying to, <laughs> trying to find up find how to videos or whatever. Yes, yes. And uh we eventually get it figured out. Everything was fine. We we it just took us probably, you know, 10 times as long as a as a seasoned <laughs> vet such as yourself would be, but but we got it figured out. And honestly, sometimes those struggling through moments can can teach you the most, but it was definitely an embarrassing feeling there, you know, being there in front of my brother, yeah. supposed to be the one showing him the ropes here and and uh you know, well, you know, it's 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 kind of funny because, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in a family that hunted and whatnot. And it was just kind of funny that I actually I actually did not personally field dress a deer until I was probably probably like 21 um, because okay. growing up, like my dad did it all the time. Like every sure. time we got a deer, it was like it, that was the thing. You know, my dad did it. And uh, so, you know, finally one time I and mean, it was like, you know tail end, you know, I think I was just about to graduate college or whatever. And I was finally just like, you know what? I I just need to, I've watched it, you know, so many times I just need to go ahead and do it. And ever since then, now maybe it's, maybe it's my way to pay my dad back. But anytime he gets a deer or anyone gets a deer, usually I'm the one that fields dresses it because I have a certain way I like to do it and I've pretty gotten pretty good at it. So, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of practice makes perfect. You know, every chance you get, you know, you kind of just perfect another little part of it, which makes it nice. For sure. That's, that's a good ending to that story. You know, Um, (laughs) you, sometimes when you're, and that is probably kind of that age, you know, a lot, a lot of times we feel like we're, 
we've um, totally arrived at adulthood at that mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. But but then you uh, get married and you're like, wow, there's all this other. Uh, you're right. You know, I gotta I gotta actually clean up after myself once in a while. You're right. <laughs> and, yes. And yes. Uh, that, you know, if you end up having kids or something, then it's like, all right, now I got all this responsibility. And then when you're yes. full swing into your career and you're getting oh man put on special committees and and mm-hmm. having additional mm-hmm. meetings and stuff, it's you just like you you kind of come into your own a little bit more, I guess, is maybe what I'm saying. So yes. yeah, I think that's that's kind of that age though, right around you know. 2021 where you start doing some of that stuff and you're like yeah Mm -hmm. i need to it's been great having my parents help me with all this stuff but i should probably i should probably figure it out at some point (laughs) right (laughs) but then there's also you know the kid who's been field dressing his his own deer since he was he was 12 or something you know absolutely for sure yeah there's 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 people that do it differently i'm sure but (laughs) but i know what you mean there definitely yeah um i guess one other I don't want to. I don't want to beat this to death here, but one other embarrassing story in the fishing world for me. Yes. Um, we saw this musky guide. Um, he was featured in. I think it was uh, Field and Stream magazine. They did yeah. like a huge, like four-page story on the guy. Basically, it was a journal of of um, his typical summer going through the summer as a musky guide and he would just yeah kind of document his most noteworthy days and and that's what made the the issue but mm-hmm. uh so i saw that it's like man this guy you know he's he's like the go-to guy for musky fishing you know he's yeah he's putting him in the boat all the time i think he actually has a state record in minnesota and wow. uh, yeah just uh i mean the guy to, to contact so anyways we book a trip with him we get up there it's it's really a pretty crummy day i mean it was rainy like not downpour really but mm-hmm. misty mm-hmm. kind of in the morning and and really choppy water so it's you know you're just kind of like bouncing all over the place and everything yeah and, yeah and musky fishing i don't know if you've ever done it before no it's exhausting man uh, is I'm it sure, yeah i'm sure i'm sure guys who do it all the time they really build up the endurance for it but you're yeah. you're it's it's 100 percent cast and crank you know unless mm-hmm. you're, unless you're trolling if you're trolling obviously mm-hmm. that's you know that's no big deal but yeah but um so you're whipping out there these i don't know maybe 15 to 20 inch long uh uh diving crankbaits and stuff and yeah giant spinner baits and and you know just they call it the fish of what a thousand casts or ten thousand casts or something like yeah, that yeah yeah so you're just casting and cranking on these big old bait oh, casters man. you know with yeah. poles that are i don't know maybe seven feet long or so and yeah eight feet long and, and just over and over but so we're just casting away, casting away. My brother Jake, once again, he is like the fish whisperer. I mean that the the fish like know he's on the lake, and they're like, "All right, we're getting caught today." You know, he just he just just boats them one after another. Well, he yeah. didn't catch any muskies, but he caught I think it was eight really nice northerns. Oh, and, nice. Um, okay. My dad is kind of the opposite. He's he's uh he's more about the the comfortable 
boat seat and the mm-hmm. being close to the snacks and the the, the <laughs> drink cooler and yeah and yep. uh you know he he he's just having fun being out in the boat and hanging out with us and yeah. and he likes fishing all right but but it's not as you know if he didn't catch a fish he'd say well at least i didn't have to take one off and throw it back in you know <laughs> right yeah right right kind of kind of that <laughs> attitude towards it but um so he he's reeling and and just kind of like you know putzing around there and yeah sure sure enough this nice i don't know maybe 40 inch musky comes right up to the side of the boat and and he didn't figure eight, which is a big part of musky fishing because they'll do that. Yeah. The, they'll kind of okay. like, they'll follow all the way up and they're kind of like, eh, is this legit? And, yeah. and the second normal fish action stops, then they're like, oh, no, I'm bailing. And, yeah. and they, they leave it alone. And so you have to figure eight, you know, not just like one figure eight. And, oh, I guess he's not going to bite. I mean, some people will just figure eight, you know, maybe three, four, five or more times. And yeah. so he just kind of like reels it up to the boat and lets his lure stop. But this muskie is still just sitting there. I mean, like he could have reached in the water and grabbed it. Wow. But, so that was the kind of luck he was having. He didn't, he didn't yeah. end up catching it, but he did end up catching, of course, a couple uh, nice northerns. Okay. And then there's me, the you know, the one who finds the article in the magazine, the one who <laughs> the one who uh gets all the arrangements set up and everything. Yep. Yep. I totally strike out. Oh, I mean, no. not not a not a lost fish, not a Oh. I mean, Jake and I were like switching poles, you know, because he's just like boating. I'm like, all right, let me try your lure, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, right. And then he'd take my fishing pole and catch another northern, you know. <laughs> it's like, it was like, you've got to be kidding me. And oh, man. I did have one musky follow almost all the way up to the boat. One okay. Nice, yeah, about the size of the one my, my dad had. Um, but okay. But other than that, it was straight nothing just I mean, rough man oh, it was, and it was embarrassing man i it was like sitting here you got this guy who who you know guides trips for for yeah. i mean famous people and, and he's featured yeah. in field and stream and here i am just swinging a miss swinging a miss oh, <laughs> man. so that was that was pretty humiliating there but oh man well i will tell you that my embarrassing story this is actually very apropos because um last night i i actually <clears throat> told my wife i said hey we uh I, I got the babysitter all set up for friday night and she was like oh yeah really what are we gonna do and i was like i was thinking about going fishing <laughs> <laughs> and she was like really i was like and i was like yeah i figured we could just you know we'll get a little chick-fil-a or something we'll go out on the boat we'll do a little bass fishing she was like okay that sounds fun so uh it, it reminded me of a flashback back when we were dating and when it, my wife and i are celebrating 10 years of marriage this july so oh, uh, that's coming up pretty quick thank you so uh when we were dating one of the first dates i took her out on actually was fishing and okay. uh any, anyone that knows me i like to be you know i like to be right down there if i'm if i'm bass fishing you know i, I fish out of a 10 foot bass boat with mm-hmm. you know a trolling motor you know i like to be yep. right there in the action and uh my wife uh from the time she was a girl and through college she basically had a legitimate phobia of fish like a legitimate <laughs> phobia and uh you can you can you can imagine where this is going. So oh, uh, I have a bit of a 
I have a bit of a reputation for, you know, and I was fishing on this, this pond, you know, beautiful pond in a community, private, you know, no pressure on this pond. You know, we call it, you know, I, we've caught, you know, 40, 50, 60 bass in one trip before at, at this pond. Nice. Uh, and so we're out there and I have a bit of a reputation for a very strong hook set. And, uh, so I, I am, I've got a bite. I'm like, man, I'm prepared. She's, she's watching. And I set the hook on this fish, you know, it's about 20, 20 yards out. And I kid you not, it was about a eight inch bass. And oh, I set no. the hook so hard. I pulled it directly out of the water. It came flying towards her and it hit her right in the chest. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so it was at that point where she she let out a blood curdling scream like right in the middle of this community i mean we're the only people on this pond like we're the only people fishing on this pond there's people out right. in the yards and i was immediately i was like Shh, you gotta quiet down i'm thinking oh my goodness i'm gonna get kicked off this pond yeah. i don't know what's gonna happen i should have been concerned that she was gonna break up with me but fortunately that didn't happen so yeah it was <laughs> it was just it was crazy that that it, you know it happened just like that and it's so funny because as the years have gone by she has gotten a little bit you know every year she's gotten a little bit less of a phobia with fishing sure. so she's she's willing to go out with me tomorrow night to give it a try so we'll, hopefully i don't repeat myself on that one side of things <laughs> so we'll we'll see what happens we'll see what happens so yeah so i'm excited oh, i'm excited oh man well at least you didn't like hooker or something like that you know? right that yes yes an emergency room trip would have uh, <laughs> right. probably ended things for you there that would have that would have definitely ended things yes oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah i think you uh think you take the cake there man that's pretty that like makes me cringe just hearing it no offense <laughs> i know, I know. <laughs> sure that that's those are the type of memories that are burned into you know whether we're celebrating 10 years or 50 years that will i i will always feel like that just happened yesterday that scream ingrained things into my memory <laughs> man i bet you know that, that's that's kind of funny that you mentioned the the fish phobia thing that's a that's a real thing i i would have never yeah. guessed that but right um, I, I definitely won't use any names here but uh, my cousin <laughs> my cousin had a uh co-worker and this guy yeah. was a real character i mean just you know you know like truly the world's most interesting man <laughs> and, and i mean just just a hilarious guy i met him i think i yeah. met him once or twice and and he lived up to the to the uh legends uh, about yes. him but um one of them my my cousin told me he both of these guys were firefighter paramedics okay. and this guy got a call out i think it was um it was on a river and it somebody out on the river had um, was having like chest pain or, or mm -hmm. maybe even had a heart attack or something. And yeah. so he got the call. He had to respond because he was a paramedic. And, you know, obviously mm -hmm. not everybody at the fire station, you know, has all that uh, expertise for mm -hmm. for um, some of the more technical life-saving uh, skills, yeah. you know. And so he had to tag along with that. Well, he has like a terrible phobia of fish, evidently. Oh. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> they get there and it's like this John boat and they've been catching uh, catfish like all day and just yeah and just throwing them down by their feet oh and so that's... they're like sliming around and flopping around all over the the <laughs> floor of the boat and this guy gets in there and he's like <laughs> hooking this person up to oxygen or whatever you know because yeah, they're yeah. they're like struggling to stay conscious or whatever but then he like starts getting all uh, like oh, woozy no. and, and wobbly yeah. and everything because he's freaking yeah. out over the fish. So he's oh. like pulling the mask off of the patient's face and putting it on his face <laughs> and dosing <laughs> up on oxygen just to maintain consciousness. Hey, <laughs> extreme times call for extreme measures, That's I right, guess, you know? Man. Can't say to anybody if you're, if you're sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. That is so funny. Yeah, man. That would... That, oh. That's a... That's a classic, but um, well, we could tell stories like this all day. Oh probably, my goodness, but, yes! But we should uh, get we should get to the main focus of this episode, which is tree stand placement for, mm-hmm. uh, of course, deer hunting. And again, um, we we will talk about all kinds of different hunting um, mm-hmm. as as the shows go on. But but uh, today we are going to focus on deer hunting, um, something mm-hmm. you and I both really enjoy. Oh, yeah. And this is something that I don't think people think. You know how some things you just think it's going to be easy, and then you get yeah. into it and it's like, whoa, that's <laughs> this is not yeah. easy. I don't think that's yeah. this. I think yeah. what this is people just are like, okay, I'm going to go out this weekend and I'm going to hang a tree stand. And they don't think that it's going to be easy. They just, they just think that they're going, they're, they're going to figure it out and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, Mm -hmm. it won't take much time. And, but once you get out there, especially if you haven't done a lot of scouting, like Mm -hmm. whether that be shed hunting or, Mm -hmm. um, Maybe some even looking for for mushrooms, which uh, I remember now that yes. we, we had to tell you what that was all about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, or, or or just being on that property, you know. Um, this again is one of those cases where e scouting is only going to take you so far. Um, you gotta yep. uh, because there's some trees that are made for holding a stand, and other trees that not going to happen. <laughs> yep. 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 But. W- we we need to talk about all these different considerations and honestly you are just like most other things with hunting far more experienced with this than i am i've done a little bit of stand hunting um had Mm -hmm. had some success out of stands um but i'm wanting to definitely take several steps more into it this year and get a lot more into the mobile side of uh stand hunting so um yeah hopefully after this year i would be able to um maybe we can do a kind of a recap at some point and yeah talk about you know what i learned but the the things that i kind of broke it down into mm-hmm. is um you know what are the the first things that you need to consider and so we're going to start mm-hmm. out talking about um access to your stand so entry mm-hmm. and exit is what we're talking mm-hmm. about so on your way mm-hmm. in to go do a stand hunt and mm-hmm. then of course once you're done you have to head back to um, your four-wheeler or truck or or mm-hmm. maybe you're hunting on your own property head back to your house whatever um but 
Um, there's knowing how to get in and get out without ruining your next opportunity is yeah. is really where consideration for how to do this I think begins. So yes, uh, yes. I, I mean, I, I I can tell you, I totally agree with you. And I, I the thing that I love about stand hunting is that it's 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 a strategy. You know, it, you're you're really you're 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 playing chess. You know, and so one of the things that I have always loved stand stand hunting and setting up stands has actually been one of my favorite things that that I do in terms of the preparation side of things. And so one of the things that's so important is you mentioned it, you know, just a, a second ago, boots on the ground, just walking through the woods. I mean, you know, when when I'm in a new property or whatever, you know, I'm not I'm not taking gear. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing anything initially other than man, I am, you know, after having looked at the topographical maps, you know, looked at Google Maps whatever, I am walking through sure. and I am just marking things, you know, and and you're paying attention to things, you know, like we're we're talking time of day, you know, okay, if I set this if I set a stand up here, is this going to is the sunset going to put the sun right in my face as we get to right. critical time you know th those are things you think about or okay hey if i simply switch it around to the other side now i've got the sun to my back that's what i want you know so so it's it's really proactively thinking about things it's thinking about you know just the angle of your stand you know we've talked about this before a little bit but just you know if your right hand left hand angle of your stand little simple things like that um but the approach you know is huge because you're thinking okay when you're setting up a stand most stands you're going to have an anticipation of okay this is a this is a morning hunt stand or this is an evening hunt stand you know you're going to have that differentiation and so depending on what it is you know you're really going to try to identify okay what you know how am i going to access this stand am, am i setting up for instance am i setting up a quote-unquote evening setup in a spot right. that i really can, can only access in the morning you know so you're you're trying to think proactively about those things so you know because at the end of the day you know for those of us who have put up stands you know and i've done over the years you know i remember growing up you know we would we would build stands you know it was kind of cool you know it take you know dad take us out there and you know build stands and you know as time has gone on you know hunters in general have kind of become more conscientious of you know not putting nails in trees and and different yeah. things like that which is which is a good thing and uh, you know so you've got you've got finances tied up into into stands you know even getting good deals on things if you're putting up a few stands you know you're spending a few hundred dollars oh yeah and so you you want to be wise about it um, you want to be safe about it and so uh, you know it's it's an important consideration because you know the cool thing about stand hunting is you know you reap the rewards down the road so mm -hmm. you're you're you know you're putting things up now you're playing this strategy out now and one of the coolest things is when you when when you have this strategy and you're you're thinking man it could be july and you're like you know what i'm hanging a stand it's a 70 degree day i've got low humidity i'm gonna go out there and do a little scouting hang a stand or two Fast forward two or three months down the road, and wow, you're in that stand. Your plan is working perfectly. We're going to talk a little bit more in a little bit about you know landscape and and funnels and things like that. But your right. plan works perfect. I mean, there's just not there's nothing quite as satisfying as a plan like that coming together. You know, you've done your homework, you've done the research, you've thought about the placement, you've accessed it correctly. All of those things coming together, it's it's such a satisfying feeling because. That's you know when you start to bring all that together, that's when you talk you know you're really starting to talk about improving and growing as a hunter now as, as an outdoorsman who can you know really 
in you know really determine you know what path game we're going to take you know you're ultimately you're you're playing that game you're playing that chess game with the with the game that you're chasing out of total respect and so it's a pretty amazing type of setup so you know time of day is huge you know i mean for for you know on on our side of things out here you know typically uh you know you're you're uh, accessing you know wooded stands you know sure. in the morning sure. um and and you're focusing on on you know areas close to you know the the food sources in the evening and that's you know particular to the early season you know when you can when you can pattern them a, a bit coming off of their summer season um mm-hmm. so that's kind of your focus on that side of things so what we like to do cuz you know while we're talking about uh stand access you know one of the big things you know with with deer hunting is you know, people think that, man, if, if, if I spook a deer, it's going to run off my property. Um, and, and that's, that's actually a pretty popular thought, but it's, it's more of a myth. What will happen is deer, deer typically have home ranges and depending on the, the, the age of a deer and and those different things, they're going to, they're going to range, you know, a certain distance, but when they're in their summer pattern, their, their home range is pretty tight. What you don't want to do is you don't want to proactively educate them on, you know, your scent on these different things that we're going to talk about. Um, because what's going to happen is you're going to start to turn them nocturnal. You know, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. still be around, believe it or not, they'll still be around. If you're, if you're a faithful trail cam, you know, you got a faithful trail cam up, you'll notice those pictures start to go dark. You know, they're, yeah. they're only out at night. So, you know, in the early season, you want to be very cautious not to pressure those parts of the property that you're really trying to save for the most important time. So, you know, there's so many things that, you know, so many facets that go into it. Um, the, the, the cool thing too, about hanging stands is we talked about this, uh, an episode or two ago, that emotional, you know, Hey, maybe you saw, maybe you saw a deer in a, in a spot where man, wow, that's a nice buck, but you know, wow, if I hunt there, the wind's not right. You know what? But you know what? I'm getting emotional, man. I saw that nice deer. I want to. I want to get out there. If you've got different stands set up with, you know, hey, stand X, Y, and Z is great for a southwest wind. Okay, bam. You've got, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z stands that that's good for, you know, a, a, a northeast wind. You know, it's really helpful to have that set because then from there you know, okay, if the wind's coming from this direction, okay, I, I know that you know I'm not going to be hunting these setups because I'm I'm helping to preserve the integrity of the property that I'm hunting, you know? And so all these things, you know, start to go as factors into hanging stands. And what I would say, you know, in terms of seasonal changes and, 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 and just different things, you know, the biggest thing when you're looking to hang a stand, you know, as a, as a, a deer hunter, you know, someone who's getting into it for the first time or someone who's been doing it for 25 years, the two key things that you're looking to identify is where is the bedding area? And where is the the food source? You know where yeah, are the food sources. That's uh, that's 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 a those are really good tips right there. I mean, right there. You know, if you're able to identify, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the specifics with this. But if you're able to identify those two things, you're already on your way towards getting in between there, getting good stand setups, and and everything else is 
really just kind of thinking ahead, you know, hey, okay, where's the sun rising? Where's the sun setting? What type of wind, you know, and, and that's the beauty of technology. You know, you, you're you on a, on, on, there's a lot of different apps out there, but you're on your app, you mark that stand and you can very quickly see from a Google map perspective, okay, what wind is best for this stand? You know, and, and we all know in, in the areas that we're in, you know, depending on the time of year, you have prevalent winds, you know, in the cold season, you're going to have more northern winds. In the warm season, you're going to have more southerly winds. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of cool to be able to think about those things as you're setting the stands up, knowing what's coming down the line. You know, you're thinking of that strategy. So it's kind of cool to think forward on that and then see it come to fruition. Yeah, definitely. You you um you're you're <laughs> you're laying down so much information here that that uh, we should all be taking notes. Yeah. So Axis is. I mean, it, you just hit everything <laughs> so well, and I I'm already learning from this episode. So I'm glad you're <laughs> I'm glad you're uh, putting this stuff down for us here. Yeah. The the key things there to focus on what what Brandon said, I think, and the things that I'm I'm even learning more about here as we're talking. You got to consider that time of day. Um, you there's are you gonna you know what time are you gonna get started? I, I always try to be in the stand. I mean, on a perfect day, you know, of course, I, I'm kind of a naturally running late person. <laughs> but uh, uh, when those days work out perfectly according to schedule, I try to get in the stand about a half hour before uh, mm-hmm. first light, you know, just make sure I'm, I'm as invisible as possible. Yep. And if you're going to do an all-day sit, um, you if during those times of years where time of year where you just there's a really good chance at getting maybe a specific buck you're looking for or maybe maybe deer are just moving like crazy and and uh you know a minute not in the stand is a minute lost at a chance at at getting a nice deer yeah if you're going to be in the stand all day well then you're probably going to go dark to dark or um Maybe you need to take into consideration. Maybe you're just somebody who does not want to do an all-day sit. That's totally understandable. That's a long sure. time to be sitting there, and mm-hmm. and you need to have you know again good access for getting out of your tree stand unnoticed, so you don't you don't uh, kind of as Brandon talked about make your deer adjust their daily routine. Maybe their travel route. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe um, the part of the field that you've scouted them to um or or at least notice them feeding on in the past mm-hmm. and and maybe they rotate something like that uh or or just really move most of their activity to uh more of a nocturnal schedule mm-hmm. so you, you you do have to take all these things into consideration and then and then even um the seasonal changes and and at, here at least in the midwest a big big factor is the harvest you know yeah yeah and, and that could change from your morning hunt to your evening hunt honestly if if the farmer is harvesting yeah uh, right you don't really have control over that you know a lot of times mm-hmm. we like to think that the world should should come to a standstill when we're deer hunting but he's got work to do or she's got work to do and and um that might mean then that your cover on the way in is now um, being hauled off in a grain truck. So right. 
you gotta you gotta have a you know kind of a backup plan for that and and mm-hmm. adjust for that. So entry and access is such a it's kind of honestly a boring thing to talk about, <laughs> but it is so important. I mean, it can really make or break a hunt, and mm-hmm. and it is a pretty miserable feeling when you're <laughs> walking mm-hmm. in and all of a sudden you just like see those eyes mm-hmm. or, or you you see a deer just bolt and you're mm-hmm. just you just your heart sinks you're like oh no yep, yep. but yeah if you and and that, even with a perfect entry and access point that still happens and sure and it, like i think brandon was spot on when he said you know those deer are still going to be around and maybe yep. that means you got to well, maybe I need to go hunt another property for the next day or yep. two, um, yep. and just let it cool off here and mm-hmm. and whatever it means. Don't don't let it like totally crush your spirit that hunting season is out the window or whatever. But well, and, it, and I think what you mentioned right there was really really good because you know that's you know and and not not everyone has a super large piece of property to hunt on. You know, not right. not everyone has. 15 stands but one thing i i will say is this the amount of deer that you have the potential of seeing is directly impacted by the amount of pressure put on a given area so one thing that that we found helpful is you know what if you hunt a stand do your very best not to hunt a stand multiple days in a row you know Mm, do your very best you know and and maybe it's a small piece of property and and maybe it's you know what hey you've got to be really careful to you know really go when the weather when the wind is right and 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 not on those other days because if you were to you know go back to back to back it that re- really does dramatically impact your ability to see deer as you as you move forward so it is something to think about there too if, once again from the emotional perspective if you see a, a, a you know a, a few deer you know you maybe you're in stand man you have some great activity it's not uncommon for in all of a sudden you know three four weeks later you think what what happened man i was yeah. i was seeing a bunch of deer i thought i was going to be able to capitalize and then bam and then you look back and well, man, I really overhunted it, and you know, then it resulted in deer going nocturnal, changing travel patterns, et cetera. So, something else to consider, you know, as you think about the stand setup. Yeah, definitely, definitely, all very valuable information for a new hunter. Um, the next thing I think that we should talk about here is factoring in scouting. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about that in the past. Just the importance mm-hmm. of of scouting before the season during this time of year where we're in those summer months and we're yep. just counting down the days literally to hunting. Well, one of the ways mm-hmm. you can still kind of have a taste of it is to, is to be doing that scouting. And of course, yes. trail trail cameras are such a huge part of that now in the 21st century of hunting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, they've gotten so good. I mean, you got all kinds of different trail cameras, cell cameras, um, you got uh, different uh, types of flashes on the camera so as to avoid mm-hmm. spooking deer, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. It's it's really an incredible technology. But I think there can be some mistakes made, maybe some, some misconceptions for, mm-hmm. for, especially for new hunters. Um, I got this trail camera. I'm going to put it where I think I'm going to see deer. And then that yeah. way, if I'm seeing deer there, I can go ahead and put a stand there. Well, maybe that might be true. In fact, uh, 
um, as a newer hunter who's maybe just trying to find out where the deer are on the property mm-hmm. that you have permission to, that's probably a decent strategy to go with as long as you're putting your camera on a tree that obeys the first rules that we just talked about. Something you're going to be able to make a clean entry and exit from without spooking everything. Yeah. And, and so in in that case, that might be true. Now, somebody like Brandon, who's been hunting uh, all of his life, and and he's probably to the point now where you know he's gathering intel on a on a handful of bucks that are on his mm-hmm. his shooter buck list mm-hmm. for that season. Mm-hmm. Well, he's probably going to put cameras in places where he's never going to hang a stand. It might be somewhere right. close to there, but he might get yep. real aggressive where he's he's putting some of those those cameras even in kind of what we would term like sanctuary areas on the property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so you kind of have to start by by looking at okay, what's going to be a really aggressive setup? If I go mm-hmm. into this area where I I know, you know, when the the opening day of gun season's going on and deer mm-hmm. are just like what on earth is happening to me right now? <laughs> right. The the normal peace and quiet of the deer woods has gone to absolute war zone level here. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. where where are those areas where they're going to go hunker down and try and uh, avoid that really heavy hunting pressure? Well, yeah. those areas, you might be able to get away with putting a camera in there, but if you try walking in there um, to hang a tree stand or, or climb into a tree stand even, um, mm-hmm. you're probably going to cause yourself some problems unless you um, really know what you're doing as far as when it's okay to get that aggressive with your hunting. And right. so, And so don't just assume that because there are deer here, this is going to be a decent spot to hang a, a tree stand. That's, mm-hmm. I would actually, I'm, I don't know, Brandon, you have way more experience with this than I do, but I would almost say that more times than, I would say more often you shouldn't do that than, than times where, yeah, that's probably okay. You can where where the deer are going to be at most frequently uh you mm-hmm. can go ahead and hang both your camera and your stand there yeah no i i absolutely agree with you and and you know i think the i think the 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 cool thing about first gen hunter and and you know everything that that we talk about here is you know the the the, the cool thing about getting good at something is it's 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 not that complicated, but it can be really complicated, you know? Sure. So, so I think in life, you know, we all sometimes have a tendency of making things more complicated than it needs to be. So sometimes it's easy to get away from some of those basics, you know, like for instance, with, with trail cams, you know, first gen hunters out there, seasoned hunters alike, you know, whatever. One of the things that I've really found really helpful is to post up trail cams in a transition area close hmm. to a food source, so you know you're you you've got a it could be a, 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 a you know a, a you know kind of a, a outgrowth of pines that are bordering that feed area, 
great spot where deer are going to naturally be mingling through. It's a sure. low profile area in the sense of you're not going deep into the heart of the woods to be able to, you know, get that in there because, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to assess, you know, uh, time of year, you know, really is, 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 is important in terms of what type of intel you're gathering, you know, early season, when you're looking at June, July, you know, bucks are growing at that point, you know, you're seeing that beautiful process of, of deer, you know, having that velvet coming in, their antlers are actively growing, all that type of good stuff. At that point, you know, you want to be real low profile. I mean, you're not, you're not trying to do yeah. anything other than just kind of gather general data about, okay, what bucks are, are, are here on the property. If you're seeing them consistently on the property through the summer months, I mean, the, you know, your, your property is part of their home range for their summer pattern. So, I mean, that's going to really give you some great intel as you get into that first part of the season to hopefully get a great buck. Um, as you get into the season, my, my, you know, kind of tactics, tactics have always been to get more aggressive as you get into the season. So you start to get into the season and you transition to starting to see those rubs and scrapes and putting those trail cams over, uh, the, the, the scrapes and that active type setup. And the, the nice thing about that is the cool thing about deer are as you get into more into the season, as you get towards that rut time period, you can get away with being a little bit more aggressive. Whereas early season, if you if you make some mistakes early season, they will really come back to haunt you because yeah. the deer yeah. are not to that point yet where in the rut, as they get closer to that, they're a bit out of their minds. You know, they, they, they don't understand, you know, everything that's going on because they're distracted. So you kind of try to tend to follow that as you go into the season in terms of your aggressive level and you know make no mistake about it there are times to be aggressive early season you know sure. it could be that you know you've got you've got a, an access point where man you you're, you're getting footage of this deer and he is you know 10 minutes before the end of shooting light he is right on the edge of an area you know and okay hey to hunt that that little area you need a west wind you know okay so mm -hmm. you're 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 watching those trail cam trail cam uh, pictures you're waiting for the the weatherman to say it's a west wind and then you are sneaking yep. in there you might get nice and tight but you want to make sure it's the perfect condition so there are times in which you do it but broadly speaking you know that's how i tend to have success is kind of by following the 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 corresponding part of the season in terms of your level of aggressiveness yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, with that, we've and I think we've talked maybe a little bit about this. Mm -hmm. The way I like to, when I when I start my hunting season, mm -hmm. I like to start, you know, as low pressure as I can. Yes, and, and especially if it's, you know, I'm going to assume most people, most hunters. Not even just first gen hunters, but most hunters are in the, the same boat as me where all right, I have this much time off from work. Mm -hmm. This is when I'm gonna be able to do the bulk of my hunting for this season. Yep. You definitely wanna pay attention to how aggressive you're being. And so yes. um whether that means you have maybe three to five more permanent stands set up mm -hmm. from the summer mm -hmm. that you you put in the time and and got them ready to go or maybe um you you are going a more mobile route and you have you have a uh either a climber or um just a, a mobile hang on with with sticks mm -hmm. and you're going to 
have to have identified, all right, this is how I'm going to kind of ratchet up the pressure. And maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe it's not, oh, I have five days off work and on day five, I'm going to hunt as aggressive as I can. It could be like what Brandon just said. Weatherman says that today is perfect to be in that, that most aggressive stand. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's got to come into play too. So yes, for sure. And, and again, there, the, the difference between you may, you may even still have a camera in a more aggressive spot yet than that and you may never Mm -hmm. hunt where that camera is at that might only just be strictly for intel or inventory on Mm -hmm. what what deer are on your property that you can hunt yes um one of the other things that that uh, i think we should we should uh maybe flush out here a little bit more and you started talking about when you were talking about transitional areas, those areas between mm-hmm. food and bedding. Um, mm-hmm. and, and let's go ahead and just start diving right into it here. These landscape features, um, mm-hmm. things like maybe funnels, um, mm-hmm. uh, just some of those those situations that set up that affect that deer travel. Um, yes. Uh, we, people often say, well, deer are an edge animal you know what what mm-hmm. what exactly does that mean let's talk about that and then yeah you know the, the hunting timber versus hunting over a food plot and, yeah. and just any other kind of landscape features here that we want to take into consideration when we're hanging our stands yeah yeah absolutely i you know once again kind of talking about that strategy and uh you know that's that's kind of the cool thing you're looking at a map and that's kind of the powerful thing uh that's that's what um boots on the ground you know of course assists with it but one of the cool things that boots on the ground doesn't give you that looking at google maps or or using an app or or anything like that does give you is that big picture and you know when when you talk about a funnel a funnel, very simply, for for those people who you know don't know what that is, or seasoned hunters who have been enjoying using those for a long time, it's any sort of setup in the landscape that naturally funnels deer in a certain direction. So, it could be something as simple as, man, it, there is a there is a nice tax ditch that is just a just a beautiful feature in the in the property that is going to naturally funnel deer, deer a certain way it could be uh, a transition in you know there there's a water source you know like a for, uh, for, uh like for instance a, a swamp and sure. there, and there's a, a kind of a small wood line that goes across the swamp perfect perfect sort of funnel um it could be that you've got a small set of woods bordering uh, a a pond, you know, okay, so where that woods gets narrow, bam, there's your funnel. You know, if deer are traveling, they're going to have to travel by there. And Kent, you just mentioned um, that deer are, are edge type animals. Yep. Um, very similarly, and I think we mentioned this in, in one of, you know, maybe our first episode or second episode, you know, animals are very similar in many cases you know for instance you know those of us who love fishing you know we know that um you know bass fishing for instance or a lot of different types of fishing they love areas where it's shallow mm-hmm. but where they can escape to deep water quickly you know shallow to feed and they can escape to deep water quickly deer in very much the same way with being an edge animal they like the opportunity to be able to hedge their bets you know they want to be able to be close to running off into the the deep timber the bedding area but they want to be able to 
to scent check. They want to be able to feed. They want to be able to be. And you know, for anyone who's been out there, you know, out in a stand, you know, the 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 deer that'll that'll get you most easily is not usually the buck. It's usually the mature doe. Yep. You know, because that that doe. I mean, just when you think that <laughs> doe's gonna gonna put its head over and eat. No, I mean, I, and you ever you ever you ever try to think what it would be like being a mature doe? Like, do they ever like eat for more than one second at a time? I mean, yeah, it's, no, it's, they're it's, they're so like, nervous. <laughs> they are they are i mean and and it's it just you know is is one of the reasons why we respect the the yeah. the animals so much i mean it it's it's not an easy thing to hunt them successfully and it's because they're smart you know yep. and so you know really understanding that and and allowing yourself to know the property that you're hunting and 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 the beautiful thing is you know it could be public land you know that's the that's the great thing here in delaware we've got you know uh, ton of public land that really up until November isn't hunted that much, you know, and, and I know every state's a little different. You have to check with your, you know, individual states, you know, protocol right. in terms of what can be hunted and whatnot. But there in, in a lot of states, there's a lot of land to be hunted that for the most part, especially early season, is not hunted that much. So you start looking at those topographical maps, you start, you know, just using your apps, using your Google Maps. There's a lot of funnels that you can find that you wouldn't that you wouldn't naturally think of. So, for instance, you know you're going to naturally think of a funnel that has something to do with water. You know that's that's mm-hmm. kind of a natural one that yep. most people are going to think about. But one that's really helpful too is, hey, maybe there's two pieces of big woods and there's just a nice hedgerow or there's a nice just it could even be something that's 50 yards, 75 yards wide, but a nice funnel of woods that goes by there. Man, that's a great funnel. It could be something where maybe hey you've got a food plot and there's a linkage there's a near linkage of the 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 woods that borders the plot to the next set of woods little things like that that are are very prevalent on properties but people don't usually think of places like that are key areas to set up and the beautiful thing about most of those areas are they usually like we talked about earlier they usually border those two areas of uh, bedding and feeding. So usually on one side, you know, as most properties tend to be, you know, one side is going to be, you know, maybe the denser cover that's going to be really perfect for the bedding area. Whereas the other side could be the more open, you know, timber where they're traveling, where they're kind of getting to that edge where they could be feeding. So it, it's very interesting how many times those natural funnels work to be right between those two points, which just, of course, exacerbates how great they can be. Um, so I would encourage, you know, any first-hand hunter or season hunter look at your property take a fresh look you know because you know sometimes you hunt a property for even a long time and and you may not consider man i didn't actually think about that spot as a transition area as a funnel start to consider those types of things because funnels are age-old success opportunities and the the beautiful thing about funnels are i can tell you you know just even a very i I won't even share a a personal story but just you know the the, one of the properties that we have the, the the pleasure of hunting right now the very first year that we hunted that property we came into that property and we saw a spot and it, you know, it, it, when you're hunting, anyone who's hunted for a long time knows this, or even, you know, if you hunt it for a few years, sometimes you get to a spot and you, and you think, wow, this yeah. is the spot. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes it doesn't work out, but sometimes, especially if it's related to a funnel, 
many times it will work out. And this particular spot has been a perennial big buck killer spot. Like it's just one of those places that year after year, big bucks are seen, big bucks are harvested. I mean, and it's just really neat to see how those spots will produce year after year after year. Because here's the thing, when you're looking at a funnel, deer have to travel. You know, if you've done your job in terms of making sure that you're not overpressuring a property, you've you've done a good job in terms of strategic stand placement. Deer are going to travel as long as you're not prom- you know pushing them to travel nocturnally or out of the area. They're going to travel. Right. So if you hunt smart and you're hunting those funnels, you're going to get opportunities. You know, so that's really you know once again where sometimes you know when we think of hunting or anything as an art, sometimes we overthink it. Sometimes it's it's a little more simple than 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 it you know it, you know sometimes we make it out to be. So yeah. you look for those funnels. You're smart about the pressure that you're putting on a property. You know what? It's only a matter of time until you're going to have some some really great opportunity. Man, that's that is a big tip for a, a new hunter. Um, if, in fact, I would encourage you if you if you are a, a brand new hunter, this is going to be maybe your first, second, third year going out. Stop right here, rewind. Oh, maybe the last really ten minutes of this conversation and and re-listen to that because. That could honestly change your chance of finding success Mm -hmm. uh, to coming a year, two, maybe three years before um, the average new hunter is going to get that deer on the ground. I mean, just knowing where to set up, that is is Mm -hmm. so important. Yeah, so definitely go back and and listen to that bit on, on funnels there. That would my my teacher side of me right not so i'm I'm a teacher my my regular <laughs> yeah. job that that right there would be the the big part of this whole uh lesson if this was a lesson so mm-hmm. so go back mm-hmm. and, yep. and listen to that on funnels that's that's huge Well, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Man, just when I go back through and re-listen to this thing, there is some good stuff here coming from Brandon. Of course, that's why I uh, pay him the big bucks to come on the show and be the brains. Uh, Don't ask him how much the big bucks are, though. Anyways, for today's tip of the day, it has to relate with our topic of deer hunting today, and it's about shooting your firearm more accurately. You know, you can get your stand set up perfectly. You can have the right weather you can have deer to shoot at but if you don't make the trigger pull and get the bullet from the gun to the deer it doesn't matter all that other stuff just goes down as a memory and it's probably going to happen to you at some point it's definitely happened to me i imagine it's happened to brandon before as well if if you if you hunt long enough you're probably gonna end up missing some deer and the trigger pull when you're firearm hunting can be one of those reasons. And it starts with the fact that you shouldn't call it a trigger pull. Instead, call it a trigger squeeze. Now, I'd heard that for a long time, and it was kind of like, well, what's the difference, you know? And you might be asking the same question. Now, I'll try to uh, include a video at some point on, on uh, First Gen hunter.com to kind of explain this in a more visual way but we're gonna have to just let the uh, audio uh, the the audio format or for you auditory learners 
this is going to have to suffice for today. So, what happens? Well, when I go, try to adjust from a trigger pull to a trigger squeeze, a lot of it has to do with where I position my finger on the trigger. So, typically, based on how you were shooting your cap guns and your super soakers and your uh, whatever else toy gun when you were a kid and you watched uh, John Wayne and Clint Eastwood and, and uh, all the other cinematic gunslingers through the years, it seemed like pulling a trigger was a simple thing, right? You just kind of put the tip of your finger on there and start clicking away. Well, of course that works to pull the trigger, but you're also pulling the barrel of the gun oftentimes. I, I mean, it might work. Some people might have the right discipline there, but oftentimes if you don't have your finger on there just the right way, when you go to kind of flick back on that trigger, you're going to kind of pull the end of the barrel with the trigger. And so what that then does is, although you had your target lined up perfectly in your sights, your barrel is going to tip just at the last second as that bullet's leaving the barrel. And so you're typically going to end up shooting more towards that direction that you you pulled when you when you squeeze the trigger so what I do is I kind of move it back to uh, the middle of my finger so really exaggerated and just slowly squeeze straight back and kind of just hold back on that trigger as I'm firing the gun that should help eliminate this problem of pulling the barrel of the gun and should help you be on target more often and eating venison more often. You know, kind of along the lines of funnels, one thing that I think helps um, with not only deer hunting, um, but shed hunting is mm-hmm. looking for those abnormalities. Right. So what is it about this landscape that's just, you know, usually when you look at something, it's, you know, nature's diverse, of course. I don't want to downplay that. But sure. but usually there's some level of uniformity, especially here in the Midwest where there's so much farming and all the development of the land, you know. Things are, mm-hmm. they can kind of start to look like, a checkerboard almost you know when you when you look at the aerial map but a lot yeah. of times there'll be uh just this maybe grove of trees out in the middle of nowhere or maybe it's a old brush pile or or maybe a pond i think you mentioned that you know when yes. you're talking about funnels you know sometimes you can kind of key in on those areas too and i don't think that they're as reliable as the funnel um, mm-hmm. you know, looking for funnel areas. Sure. But maybe if you are striking out and um, you, or or maybe you're just not seeing that one buck that you're really looking for, mm-hmm. you know, he might be using one of those lone stands of tree out, trees out in the middle of a ag field or, or um, you know, sometimes you'll go around like a pond that's out in the pasture somewhere and yes. there'll just be deer tracks everywhere around that pond or, yep. or a bunch of rubs mm-hmm. and put a camera out there. Yeah. Shed hunt out there. Get to know that little abno- ab- abnormality in mm-hmm. the terrain and yep. 
give it a shot. Maybe find yeah. a good find a good tree again. You can't ignore access, and the same thing goes mm-hmm. for the funnels. You got to have clean access, but yep. Sometimes those those spots um, can really provide uh, that additional success. I actually shot a deer on a spot kind of like that last year. It yeah. was it was just this one. There used to be a pond there. It got got taken out, uh, and then of course turned into more crop ground, or is in the process of okay. that. But yeah, but uh, a big part of it hasn't been tilled yet and so there's you have ag 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 everywhere you know both sides of the fence so even on the neighbors all ag but then you have this little patch of green grass Mm. you know and so during that those october hunts when you know the grass hasn't all gone dormant yet and everything yes the deer kind of go in there for that little bit of green and and um that ended up paying off for me you know Uh, yeah sure enough out come a couple deer and it was that one spot that was just different from the rest of the terrain and Mm -hmm. the deer knew it and they were going to be there so well it's a great point because you know sometimes it's whether you're rabbit hunting or pheasant hunting yeah or anything you know sometimes you know i remember the very first one of the very first hunts i ever went on with my dad it was thanksgiving day i had my bb gun you know my dad had a shotgun we went out back you know walked the hedgerow for rabbits and uh, you know what? I saw where he stepped, where he kicked up a rabbit. I would have never thought in a million years, yeah. you know, there was going to be a rabbit. But sure enough, a rabbit came out of there, and we got a rabbit. You know, and that was yep. amazing. You know, in the same way, you know, I think you beautifully mentioned it. You know, it could be it could be a random island of woods in the middle yeah. of a field. It could be it could be like you said, just a little you know you know overgrown grassy area, something like that. Deer are so smart about locating areas that give them the vantage point that they want and give them that sense of safety. I mean, so, and sometimes it's easy to overlook those little areas because you just don't, you just, oh no, they wouldn't be in there. Well, you know what? Sometimes they are. And and I love what you mentioned, putting up a cam that that's a great type of time frame to say, you know what, let me set up a strategic cam here for a week or two. And man, wow. oh, Oh my goodness. Maybe I'm getting some daytime movement. Yeah. from some deer that I would I never knew were here. So I mean that's that, you know that's kind of one of those situations where man, let me set it up real quick, run it for a week or two, see what's going on, and boom, you might end up getting getting yourself a great opportunity. So great that's that's a great tip. Yeah. Yeah. It, again though, I would prioritize what Brandon mentioned with the funnels first, but um, maybe your property just doesn't have any great funnels on it. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and then, yep. you know, eventually we'll start talking some habitat management, not on this episode, yes. but but you, maybe you need to create some funnels. Um, sure. But uh, maybe if you don't have any for this year, looking for one of those spots could could save your bacon and, and help you punch your tag. So Yes. Well, now that we've kind of looked at the landscape, we've found our ease in ease out so our access is good we know where our aggressive um or maybe our passive i guess would be the opposite of that uh, um where those stand placements could be mm-hmm. um we know how to use the the landscape when we're looking at the different hunting seasons themselves if you're going to be a setting up a stand for gun season versus setting up a uh, stand for bow season, mm-hmm. that's going to factor in quite a bit, wouldn't you say? 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, so you're you're looking at a big difference there. I mean, you know, not not only, you know, does does bow season typically correspond with, you know, early season summer patterns. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, we all know that you've got to be that much closer to to the to your game. So, right. I mean, you know, you start talking about things like scent and wind really start to come into play in situations like that. And I mean, at, at some point we, we will go into some more of the like scientific specifics, like with thermals and how, uh, how scent is transferred and yep. how deer will, you know, can catch your scent and things like that. But suffice to say, you know, when you're talking about you know, getting out there early season and, you know, it, it could be, I mean, here in Delaware, it starts September one. So, I mean, it's not uncommon to be out there, you know, you know, labor, usually, I mean, it's kind of tradition, you know, for us, Labor Day weekend, you know, we're, we're out hunting just before, you know, growing up just before school starts or whatever, yep. you know, kind of get that first weekend in. I mean, it might be 90 degrees out there <laughs> and you're out, you know, you're out, yep. you're in your leafy camo and you're just, you know, <laughs> having a good old time, just sweating, you know, yep. and, and it's, it starts then, you know, it, it starts before then, but you know, as in terms of the season and, and being smart, you know, and getting out there and man, maybe you're, maybe you've got a bad wind and and, and you know what, you're, it's 90 degrees and you're like, you know what, I just want to get out there. Well, you know, that could really start to set the tone for making some decisions that are going to lead to failure or, or, you know what, all of a sudden, you know, we've, anyone who's hunted for a long time has heard of the, of the phrase October lull. Yes. Um, you know, many people have heard of that and there's, con- there's conflicting research in terms of, is that a real thing? Is it not a real thing? You know, I, I think what a lot of it is, is for those hunters who were seeing a lot of deer and really end up getting out there, maybe they're, they're you know, they, they hunt those stands like we talked about, you know, before, you know, one, two, three days in a row. Maybe they're not as careful with their scent. They're not paying attention to the wind. All of a sudden, they stop seeing deer, you know. So mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, sometimes it's it's be, it's it's hunter error, you know, we're, we're not paying enough attention to that. So right. really, the, the name of the game is preparedness doing what we can do, you know, and, and what we of course want to emphasize, you know, as a first gen hunter, I mean, you got to get out there and have some fun, you know, you know, we get out there, be smart about it, you know, so prepare, but when you're out there, enjoy it to its fullest. I mean, and that's what it's all about. So the more that we can all help each other prepare for that, the more success we're going to have, the more fun we're going to have. And that's, that's the name of the game, what we're after. Right. For sure. Yeah. One of the, and, and that's spot on with with knowing knowing your limits during those different seasons because you do have to really factor in how close can you get you know without um, you know early in the season am I gonna mess mm-hmm. up my my you know rut my mm-hmm. rut hunts mm-hmm. by getting yep. too aggressive here during early bow season when I'm sweating it up yeah. Um, so you you have to prioritize that when you're you're especially if you're going to be putting up some some I guess we could say permanent stands mm-hmm. um things like a ladder stand or something that that's going to be um something you're you're just going to leave there um you need to take that into consideration with um uh, you know when when in the year am I going to be using this stand mm-hmm. for gun seat Stands. One of the things I like to prioritize with that that we didn't really mention yet is vantage point, and mm. and the reason for that obviously is I can reach out and touch a deer with a gun from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
couple hundred yards away, you know, and have, yeah. a, have a good, clean, ethical shot, especially mm -hmm. if you're in a state where you can use, a, you know, a necked-down rifle round. Yeah. You know, that's that's going to that's going to really affect where you're going to put your stand. And the nice thing about that is if, if you do it right, you can pretty much eliminate that, that fear of scent uh, messing mm -hmm. you up when you place that stand. You know, if you're, yep. if, if you know where the, the regular feeding area is, you know, you can just kind of set yourself up maybe, uh, uh, 150 yards from there or mm -hmm. hundred yards from there. And you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. And, and, uh, so maybe during gun season, if, if that's all you're going to end up hunting, or you just want to have that specific stand, that's only going to really be used during gun season. I would add in, you know, along with the other things we mentioned, vantage point, you want to be able yeah. to, you want to be able to see as much as you can, because you're probably going to have a more of a chance to select the buck that you're you're looking for during the gun seasons because you're yeah. if you have that right vantage point because you're going to be able to mm -hmm. see where the deer are coming in from and who's mm -hmm. there and and everything else so if you're setting up that gun stand might not be a bad idea and also another thing that, that can kind of help with the scent and doesn't totally change it but can kind of help mm -hmm. for those earlier mm -hmm. season hunts those bow hunts where you're sweating it out now it might mm -hmm. sound miserable because it's going to make it hotter but it may maybe you have or you got the the financing to get one of those really nice you know uh enclosed um deer i guess more of like an elevated deer blind really mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. tower stand or something like that and yeah and uh then that can kind of help enclose your scent so if you have one of those or you're it's in your hunting budget to spend money on one of those well, yeah. A lot of times, I think people just go ahead and they're like, "Yep, this is going to be my late season gun, gun hut," because then I can bring a little, uh, you know, ice shanty heater out here with me and, yep. and stay yep. nice and comfortable, yep. which is fine yeah. too, of course. But if you only have one of them, it might not be a bad idea to prioritize it for that earlier season when you can control your scent a little bit better and make yourself a little bit less visible to the deer, so you don't. You know, what we've talked about before, don't mess up what's mm -hmm. coming down the road. Well, and I like, I really like what you said about, about that and also about the vantage point, because, you know, when you're thinking about early season, you know, you, you, you're very likely to have, uh, reasonable shots in the sense that it's, it's relatively easy to stop deer or they may have be stopping for you if, if you're hunting a food source yeah. or an area where it's a transition point. As you get deeper into the season, you know, you're dealing a lot of times with, with bucks that are pushing does, they're scent checking, they're moving. So thinking about your vantage point and the and the open opportunity that you have to get off a shot, you know, once again, in being prepared to, to you know, really set yourself up for success to make a good ethical shot that's going to, you know, give you a good chance to harvest an animal. You know, if you're giving yourself a super tight window come gun season, yeah. and sometimes that, that's the nature of the beast, you know, some spots yep. you, you could be hunting a, a 
ditch where you do have a very small area to, to shoot in. If you can change the angle of that or do something a little different that's going to give you just even a little bit more of a window of a shot because right. you know you plan on that time of year. Sometimes those opportunities come and they may last just, just very briefly because of the nature of what deer are doing that time of year. So thinking about it from that perspective can be helpful as well. Yeah, definitely. You don't want to get into a position where the deer's within range, it's a shooter buck, mm-hmm. and there's just too much trash in the way to yes. pull off a clean shot. And Yes. And, again, with going with that idea there with the vantage point, you know, that's... Mm-hmm. And, honestly, you can figure a lot of that out by, after hanging the stand, mm-hmm. sit up there for 10 15 20 minutes and just scan, absolutely scan, do a mental inventory about mm-hmm. all right this is where this is going to be this is what i'm going to be able to see hmm, maybe this branch needs to come down yes. but also you got to bear in mind too um if you're hunting public ground a lot of times they'll let uh, i think mo- most states will let you leave a stand out there mm-hmm. i mean you kind of it's the risk of hey some somebody might right snag it but yeah um that's usually not so much a problem but modifying the trees Mm -hmm. can be a problem and you might be like oh who's gonna who's gonna know well i mean if you're leaving your stand out there guys like me who like to go out in the woods i i'm pretty good at spotting somebody else's stand in a tree and so i'm gonna guess that that um game wardens that are um, patrolling they're probably way better than i am at spotting them and right if they start seeing evidence of clean cut branches and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. screwing steps and stuff like that you might end up with a ticket you know and yeah so, well said or you know if something else happens and and uh, maybe you were maybe you were uh trying to do things the honest way and then and, mm-hmm. and uh, you needed help from a game warden, so they come out there, and then they see that you've modified the tree in some way, you know. So make sure you, yeah, make sure you um, know a that they're just doing their job, and b uh, what the law is. So, so well uh, yeah, make well sure you're, you're paying attention to that when you're you're deciding this for your stands too. Yeah. Um, well, we've been talking around it and talking about it here and there, but I do think that we need to. Um, address specifically here this idea of you know scent where Mm. we've we've talked about obviously um wind being a factor of that Mm -hmm. i think we all understand that um Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't think back to uh maybe uh junior high locker room nightmares when the smelliest kid on your football team walked in front (laughs) of the big uh a fan that they had going in the locker room and it just wafted his uh his uh bo all over the entire uh, <laughs> locker room you know that would be a classic example of being downwind of something that that is uh um rather note noteworthy in its uh scent give off right so uh we do have a some level of a scent stream that comes off of us deer are mm-hmm. super sensitive to um, scent. Um, yes. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting when you start talking about the, the sensory capabilities of other organisms. I mean, how mm-hmm. do we, how do we really know what 
uh, what they're picking up on. I mean, we have pretty good idea by looking at, uh, you know, one of the things you preach in the the biology world all the time is structure and function. If something is built a certain way, it's it's built that way to do that th- specific job. So we can get a good yeah. idea, but still, at the end of the day, you know, chocolate may smell really good to us, might mm-hmm. not smell so good to a deer, you know, or yes, or whatever. And and of course, the our normal human smell, um, mm-hmm. it alerts deer. Deer have yes. deer have been able to survive on our planet by mm-hmm. staying away from predators and. Um, over the last several hundred years, especially here in North America, uh, humans mm-hmm. have been probably there. Uh, well, I mean, coyotes would be up there, of course, but we're pretty high on the list for for the predators that they have yeah. learned to avoid. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when we're hanging our stands, we have to take that biological fact into consideration and Yes. I'm going to go ahead and say you're never going to be totally scent free. You're just yes. not. You're, yes. You're, I mean, there's a reason why we we have to shower on a regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. yep. The 24 hour time limit on that deodorant starts to wear off uh, <laughs> eventually. So um, we we uh, are going to, you know, the way we smell on our way in in the morning is not going to be exactly the same in the afternoon. Yeah. So. There's obviously some products out there that you can do to kind of help with that. I mm-hmm. I recommend you look into that because it is nice mm-hmm. to have those tools in the yeah. in the tool bag that kind of push you towards success. Mm-hmm. But as Brandon has been talking about, a big part of it, especially if you're going to be hunting up in the air where the wind's mm-hmm. blowing around and yep. basically hitting you at every angle possible whereas yeah you know if you're on the ground you're a little bit protected from the wind mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. it might not be as big of a deal but definitely when you're getting into a tree stand you have to consider uh scent so brandon yeah. once you uh kind of if you wouldn't mind walk us through um just how you take that i that idea of wind maybe um certain wind speeds you'll Mm-hmm. Might, might change how you do that um also yep. uh you know of course looking at the forecast to find the direction that the wind is heading all that kind of basic stuff that yes. has to go into tree stand hunting yeah with scent in mind yeah no yeah i i think i think that one of the things you just mentioned is is you know a big a big myth in the sense of you can be totally scent free and i think you mentioned it correctly you know you can't be totally scent free but we can prepare as best as we can you know and so that involves you know all the all the standard stuff that you know that 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 most hunters that that have been doing it for a while do you know you're you're talking you're talking about you know making sure that you're getting that scent free shower you know you're talking right. about you know if it's if it's a hot day you're not wearing your outer layer of clothing you know out there until you get out to the to the field, you know, um, you're talking about trying to, to keep your boots, you know, separated from, you know, uh, where you would, you know, put standard, you know, other standard clothing. Um, you're, you're talking about the scentless deodorant, things like that. You know, all those things that go into being smart, being prepared. Um, and, and what I would say is this, you know, science tells us that a deer's smell is 
essentially 500 to 1,000 times more acute than a human's. I mean, we can't even really fathom that. I mean, it's it's not even really fathomable. Um, So what I would say is this. With all the technology, with with everything that is out there, you know, one of the biggest things that you can do to set yourself up for success is – we're talking about stand placement, scent control. Set up at least a couple stands. If you have the capability, set up at least a couple stands that give you alternate options for your two most common wins. You know, so that way, you know what, when you're going out there, you're not having to make that choice. Like, man, it's the only, you know what, it's the only day I can get out in, in the stand and, and, you know, I've got the worst wind, you know what? And let me be honest with you. You know, if if you've got, if you've got one little spot and you've got one stand, you know, I'm not going to tell you not to hunt it. You know, you get, get out there when you can, you know, we've all got schedules and all that type of good stuff. But if you want to do the, the, the most that you can to set yourself up for success, give yourself a couple options because it doesn't matter how much you do ultimately when there is a buck standing downwind of you you're going to be in trouble <laughs> nine times out of ten you're going to yeah. be in trouble um sometimes some parts of the season you can you can you know buy a little luck you know you're talking about the rut you're talking about some of these different times um if a deer is distracted you know you can sometimes there are anomalies you know I, i've i've had it to where you know what i've had a deer directly down winning me and you know maybe the deer worked around me i wasn't expecting it and for some reason he didn't win me. I mean, anomalies like that do happen, but more often than not, that deer's coming in. I mean, I can plenty of times just reflecting on, on my past, you know, we did everything right. I mean, we were, we were high in a, in a tree. We were, you know, we did, we, we were decked out all of that. And you could tell when that deer worked around, it's almost like clockwork. When that deer worked around and got directly downwind of you, not that even it was necessarily meaning to, it was just the way that that deer traveled. When it get got downwind, it's like something went off, and you can say, you yep. know, classic classic sign to look for. If you see a deer stick its head in the air, stick its nose in the air, you know, right when it gets downwind of you, or just even in general, classic you know classic sign that a deer is scent checking. Something has gotten into the nostrils of that deer, and it is scent yep. checking, and so that's something to really look out for. So I mean, I think the biggest thing that we can do is the age old, you know, hunt the wind, you know, hunt the wind right. I mean, not only is it going to give you the best chance for success, it gives you the best chance to properly exit your stand, enter and exit your stand, which all goes towards limiting the amount of perceived pressure on the property, which is going to give you long-term success and more opportunities. And at the end of the day, you know, having fun with deer hunting, you know, of course, a big part of it is being out and enjoying nature and the outdoors. But of course, a a big part of having fun when you're deer hunting is, is seeing deer, not necessarily harvesting deer. You know, every time that's a blessing when it happens, but if you can at least have sightings, that's encouraging. And so anything that we can do to promote that is, is huge. So that, you know, if I had to make one recommendation, be, be smart, be prepared, do those things that you should do, but don't leave the most important thing out. And that is, making sure to pay close attention to the wind yeah yeah in fact um that gets to be especially if you're on like a hunting road trip which is how mm-hmm. i honestly how a lot of my hunting ends up being you know because i get sure. these chunks of time off and mm-hmm. and you know my wife works and i got a couple kids so you kind of yep, yep. take advantage of those those 
I guess maybe you'd say rare vacation times. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that means then that you're kind of living out of the back of your truck, and yep. you, you know, if you're smart about your scent, you're gonna have some kind of probably tub, like rubber yes. made plastic yes. tub that you're mm-hmm. storing your stuff in. But still, you're you've been wearing it all week. Um, you've you've undoubtedly gotten some other uh, scent on those on on that clothing so Mm -hmm. by the end of the week you really want to be playing that wind correctly in order to um, compensate for your stinkier clothes that (laughs) that uh, you have on your Friday hunt compared to what you had on Tuesday or whenever so well, and that's a great that's a great tip there because you know I I'll be honest with you that's kind of a different perspective from me because I I haven't done a whole lot of those trips like that and so that's a great tip for those people who are traveling and maybe you don't have a chance to do wash or not the cool thing about a lot of the spray type type uh, your stuff on the market mm-hmm. now in terms yep. of you know scentless spray if you even at the end of a hunt you spray your stuff down real good and you just let it air dry you know yeah. that that's really going to go a long way towards helping you I love the tip that you just had about having you know a, a, a tub a, a plastic tub of some sort that you just keep your your items in keep it separated from those other things because if if anyone out there is like me my truck is an absolute mess I've got <laughs> cups yep. thrown you know empty cups thrown in the back whatever you know it, that when hunting season comes that kind of becomes like you know the the hunting vehicle and you know being able to keep that stuff separated is super important yeah for sure another thing that you know talked about some of those scent eliminating sprays Mm -hmm. you remember with i think the application that brandon just mentioned is probably the best application for those where you you have the time to go over everything and and make sure that you're getting it thoroughly covered because remember mm-hmm. it's scent eliminating so it's mm-hmm. got to cover theoretically every square centimeter of of your hunting gear in order to eliminate mm-hmm. all the scent molecules that might be offensive to the deer yes so a way that you can kind of compensate for that and there's there's i mean we're, we're talking about a controversial topic right now. Sure. Maybe, oh yeah. maybe you don't know. There's some guys that will say, yeah, that scent stuff doesn't matter at all. I've, <laughs> and, right. And, you know, I, I just, I, I can't see how you would, you, you know, that could be the case for an animal that has survived primarily on its ability to smell danger. But yes. the, the thing that i like to also take with me is a scent masking spray and mm-hmm. now that can get even a little bit more controversial you know some people be like oh that stuff is a gimmick it doesn't work um i i've got some testimonial stories for times when i have literally watched that stuff work a miracle yeah um, yeah but the nice thing about the masking spray is what that's doing is it's not eliminating your stink. Your stink is still mm-hmm. there. But instead, yeah. it, you have this alternative scent on you that mm-hmm. basically is either going out off of you in your scent stream with your stinky smell, but it's it's a, also paired with a non-alarming smell. Yes. or Or it's totally covering... Or at least mm-hmm. mostly covering your mm-hmm. your normal offensive smell, and it's again not going to be come across as alar- as alarming to the deer. And so, mm-hmm. I think knowing the right 
time to use you know whether you're going to use the scent eliminator versus the scent masking spray can also help you when you're um, out in the field you know so I guess a good general rule would maybe be you're going to use the scent masking spray going into the hunt and you're going to use the mm-hmm. scent eliminating spray after the hunt when you can really be be uh, detailed with with um, getting that stuff doused in that that spray and let it dry out like Brandon mentioned and uh, I mean there's no way around it controlling yeah. your scent is a pain and yeah and going back to that stand that old standby of maybe you should just try and hunt the wind that mm-hmm. is that is a excellent way to deal with it and a a, a much simpler way to deal with it than yeah. getting really picky about it and and you know if you do get really picky about it you'll probably feel like you are driving yourself crazy but <laughs> but uh um if it even helps you know just a little bit which i think it does then yeah. it's, then you know there's it's not a worthless effort you know that's right so so well and and because it's not a perfect science because here's the thing i mean i'm a big believer in hunting the wind right but what you mentioned is really great um with the cover scent and things like that mm-hmm. and and you know because here's the thing Anyone who's hunted a deer stand or, or just been out in the woods, you 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 know that the wind does not always blow the same consistent direction. Yeah. You know, one yep. of the one of the most frustrating things is what's called a swirling wind. You know, you're up there, yeah. you know, man, that wind's in your face, and man, all right, phew, perfect. I got this perfect vantage point. Yep. And all of a sudden, ten minutes later, you're like, man, it's cutting, it's cutting, you know, back kind of across from the back of my head. Like, what is going on? And that wind is swirling a little bit, so. Any extra measures that you're taking, you're you're giving yourself that best opportunity to be protected for those uh, uh, anomalies that will happen with that swirling wind and things like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, again, it, it can be such a controversial mm-hmm. um, topic, but I, Brand and I are both believers in it. Most most mm-hmm. really experienced deer hunters that I know are yeah. Are, are big believers in it as well. Um, I, I, I just really think that you help yourself out immensely when you pay attention to your scent and, and do research on your own. I mean, don't just take our word Mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. Not only just the science behind how deer smell and things like that, but, but also look at research, the different products that are available out there. You know, we've talked before about, um, those onyx, uh, technology mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. some of that stuff you know there's there's all kinds of stuff out there that that helps with that and and can greatly reduce your scent impact when you're hunting yes which is what you want yep okay well um kind of a last point here um before we start wrapping up yeah you're into the hunting season and um you've uh you've mentioned before you don't want to hunt the same exact stand a whole bunch of times in a row because you're -hmm. you're educating the deer so when you're looking you're looking at your situation here and you're you you're trying to be make an honest assessment maybe you're not really seeing any deer um Mm -hmm. another one that could happen maybe there's uh 
big disturbance that you were not planning for. Um, mm. And you don't want to get carried away with this either because sometimes um, it doesn't matter as much as you think it's going to. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the classic around here in the Midwest, uh, harvest time, the combine starts working through the fields and mm-hmm. it can start, if there's deer bed, bedding down in that corn, they're going to start running all over the place. Well, that might be a good thing. Yeah. That might that might uh, right. send a, a nice buck right your way. Uh, mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. Um, I once heard a story from a guy who's been hunting for a really long time, and he had gone out for an evening sit, and uh, right when he pulled up on the property, um, his friend who was letting him hunt there is like, hey, man, uh, you're probably not going to want to hunt tonight. My my dogs have been running all over the property, and they were just chasing a couple of deer just a couple of minutes ago, so everything's probably you know, all messed up. And he's like, oh, okay, well, thanks for letting me know. And as, yeah. he, as he was, like, starting to put his stuff away, he looks up, and there's this giant buck, you know, like 20 yards away. Oh, <laughs> man. Had he just gone out, he would have ran right into right. him and probably right. killed him. But, but um. <laughs> So don't don't think that it's necessarily game over if something like that right. happens. Great but thing. you should have a plan in, in mind because it can it can cause a a problem for you. It can cause the deer to um move away from a spot where you're gonna be able to hunt them effectively. And so yeah. if that happens, then then uh you you're gonna have to call that aud- audible with your stand placement and Mm -hmm. uh you're gonna have to you're gonna have to change it up or maybe uh another thing that we talked about of course were the the vantage points and uh maybe you know well i could see this much during uh um the summer now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden uh, I can see way more, but I'm also way more visible to the deer up here in this stand with all the leaves off the tree, you know? Right. But, so what kind of things do you do, Brandon, for um, adjusting to those mm-hmm. to those times in the season where um, maybe you have one of those hurdles you have to overcome? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. Uh, so deer adapt you know, so, so as hunters, we have to be able to adapt. And, and so it's, it's huge. Um, I think one of the big things is, you know, be willing to get out of your comfort zone. Um, you know, for instance, you know, speaking from my experience, you know, we're, we're blessed to be able to have a few hundred acres to hunt from a, from a private standpoint, but that doesn't stop us from exploring state properties around that, that are hunted by other people too. You know, what that does, it does a couple of things. It, it keeps the pressure lower on our properties, but it also helps us learn. You know, we're on another property that we're, we're not as sure about. So, you know, that mm-hmm. keeps you engaged in the process. Um, and, and on top of that too, you're now you're on a, a different property that's given you opportunity to, wow, maybe that this property hasn't been pressured. You're learning about that side of things. So you're adapting with the situation. If you're not seeing deer, you know, start to really ask yourself why, you know, start with, okay, does this property have, you know, what, what we really would deem essential? You're talking about food source, water source, bedding source. 
you know, does it have that? If it doesn't, okay, there are some other things that need to be addressed, which we're, we'll talk about in future episodes. Right. Um, but if it if it does, okay, now let me go to where 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 am I at as a hunter? Have I overpressured it? Okay, if I've overpressured it, let me back off for a couple weeks. Let me go ahead and you know put a couple of strategic trail cams out, back off for a couple of weeks. Many times, what will happen in a situation like that is you will then begin to see more daytime movement as time right. goes on. So, you know, many times those deer will adjust back. And, and the, the, the great balancing factor is as, you know, that type of stuff happens earlier season, as you get further into the season, that, that activity that comes with rut tends to be that balancing factor. So that's going to help you out. So I would say, I mean, the biggest thing is don't be afraid to change things up. Don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And that can be hard for a first gen hunter, you know, yeah. you know, just thinking of, you know, when I was a young hunter and man, you know, you're, maybe you're hunting a piece and you know, you're just getting things figured out and whatnot. And, and that's great, you know, but don't be afraid to explore something else. And, and here's the thing. I mean, this is, this, this kind of goes back to, um, you know, whether it's, you know, first gen hunter hunt fish life, you know, one of the big things that we want to promote is, engagement in yep. the, in the brotherhood the sisterhood of the of the great outdoors helping each other you know when you're when you're by yourself i mean i don't care whether you're you're gutting an animal whether you're uh you know trying to hang a stand whether you're trying to go to a property if you're by yourself that that can be intimidating even for a seasoned hunter um there's something about being able to 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 do it together you know that that makes it easier you know it lightens the burden it, it yeah. amplifies the 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 friendships for and sure. memories and and those types of things so i mean you know having a partner you know someone like that really is going to help you broaden the horizon so for those of us who are those more seasoned hunters you know it is it is very easy to be to ourselves you know we've got our own areas we've got you know but if you expand your horizon and i'm not saying go and just talk to some random person you ever you never met but you know maybe there's someone you know in your church maybe there's someone in your workplace maybe there's someone you know that you kind of have a, a friendship with that has kind of you know showed some interest and in, you know most of us deer hunters we're proud of what we do you know it, we're, it, we're hunters we're fishers you know as we start to talk about it you know we we start to learn that other that other people like kent mentioned a bit ago you know from studies coming out more and more people are, are interested in it and you know don't be afraid to take advantage of that opportunity to get someone out there um because you know when you start confronting these these you know this need to adapt because that, that's the thing about deer you know i had a situation like that this past year i talked about in a couple previous episodes Episodes. We we actually had that October lull, um, and I and I really do believe it was because we overpressured the property. You know, we had a couple sure. of great opportunities early season, and we just got excited and emotional. And hey, you've been doing it for thirty years, you still get excited and emotional. You see those big deer, you miss one, you wound one. You know, it, it's, it gets to you, and so sometimes right. you can overpressure it. So you know, just don't be afraid of getting out of that comfort zone. And for those of us who are more seasoned hunters, you know, sometimes getting out of our comfort zone means being willing to involve other people you know sometimes our comfort zone is older and more seasoned hunters is just to be to ourselves when the reality is we need to get out of our comfort zone and try to expand to just being able to be friendly and willing to help younger hunters you know to to sometimes get out of their comfort zone which is a little different than ours um so those are a couple of the tips and a couple of the things that that you know have really helped me you know when when and and that's the thing 
it's not a it's not an if it's a when you know it, it, it at some point the deer movement is going to turn off for whatever reason or another so it's it's at those times that you really start to learn it's it's through challenges that we learn so as you start to face those challenges as a hunter that's when you grow um so if you kind of just get get in the mindset of well i'm just going to hunt the same old stand and that uh, is what it is you know you're really limiting your growth and your ability to be successful as a hunter so don't be afraid to step out of that a little bit yeah, that's a great tip. Great tip. Yeah, the and I like how you said it's not it's it's not if it's when. There's mm-hmm. there's always going to be those variables that we can't control. And honestly, yeah. that's what makes hunting so fun in a big way. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. it's unpredictable and it's something that you can always get better at and something that yes. You, you, it's it's not always going to be the expected outcome so mm-hmm. but but again part of that if you are going to continue to grow as a hunter you're mm-hmm. going to have to learn how to make some of those adjustments and yep and you know i think one of the biggest factors that goes into the knowing those adjustments is experience mm-hmm. and so when you're early on you can't manufacture that for yourself but right you can borrow it from somebody else. And so sure. uh, kind of going along with what, what Brandon's saying, you know, I think um, uh, hunters that have been doing it for a long time or maybe even just a few seasons, you know, we, in a way, I, I don't know, responsibility might be too strong of a word here, but um, maybe opportunity mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. is a good Privilege. word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. We have that, we have that opportunity or that privilege to share that experience with others and mm-hmm. lend mm-hmm. them that knowledge to help them find success because yes. uh, unfortunately just like anything else, you know, maybe if I go to the golf range and I never get better despite trying and putting in time, but maybe I'm just not practicing the right way. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm making mistakes that I do not know I shouldn't be making yeah and it can get frustrating and if you're spending you know half of your vacation time for the year to go on these hunting trips and it's not bringing any deer home with you Mm -hmm. you're going to start questioning if it's something for you so right make make sure you're tapping into other people not just not just going with what you read and and uh or, or even here you know make sure you you're talking with with real in-person people to Mm -hmm. to help you build that too of course the the material that you can read and and listen to is excellent or or watch Mm -hmm. on maybe on youtube otherwise we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now (laughs) right right Um, but but just being able to have that that person to answer all of your questions directly as as they come up and and or at least point in the right direction to get them answered that's That's such a huge part of, of knowing how to do those tricky things like an in-season adjustment for your stand placement. Yes. Well, Brandon, we're, we're uh, through our list of everything we want to talk about with stand placement. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I'm just like, 
I'm getting antsy to go deer hunting now. I know, right? I know, I know. It's like, oh man, it's it's only we still got a fair amount of time left, and it's like, oh man, you know, it it, it reminds me though that uh, one of the very cool things about hunting, about the love for the outdoors, about these things is the anticipation is is so much of what it's about as well. Yep. You know, you start talking with friends about it you know you just you know and what i've discovered over the years is that camaraderie and that that anticipation is really almost just as good as as the real thing because wow it really gets you through that time yeah. you start talking you start creating those friendships and bonding over that and it really becomes you know so much it really becomes so much of the fulfillment of things even just the anticipation not even the actual hunt itself so it's pretty cool to enjoy those different facets and i think that's kind of part of um maturing as as a hunter as well is you know not just enjoying that harvest not just enjoying that you know that that time when you have out there but just kind of enjoying the full package you know and it becomes about so much more than just one facet of it the more that you that you grow and enjoy it so that's you know for those first gen hunters i mean that's what you have to look forward to you know that's the cool thing you're excited now you know you're 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 just getting into it maybe you're a couple years into it but man there is a lifetime ahead of just fulfillment and enjoyment and you know when you have it in proper balance and you do it the right way man it's it's just something that just becomes a passion and i say obsession not in a uh, unbalanced way but something that wow you just have so many you know potential friends with memories you know so many things that you know and if, if you have a family you know so many memories with the family with that you know so there's just so many facets that you continue to just kind of uncover every every additional year that you're in it so i i feel excited for kent you know and for everyone who's listening whether you're young or old or you've been in, in it for a short time or a long time you know that we can all continue to grow and learn about things together it's exciting well said well said that's like uh deer hunting poetry right there man <laughs> that's, they're, that's they're the so only type of poetry only type of poetry i'm in i promise <laughs> <laughs> no there's there's so much truth there so much truth and and it, it you're right it is it's kind of like that christmas feeling you know when when mm. you're a kid you you just you're you're cutting off the links to your paper chain that you made it made at grade school, you know, 25 days yes. till Christmas or whatever. Yes. And then and then like the second you get done opening that last gift as an 8-year-old, you're just like depressed, you know. Right. So so yeah, definitely the the leading up to it uh, uh is is such a huge part of it. So mm. it mm-hmm. I guess maybe that is a consolation during these doldrum months when we're just yes. kind of waiting for it to get here. We do get to enjoy the anticipation part of it. Yes, well said. Well, Brandon, um we we always want to remind our listeners to check out both resources represented here mm-hmm. on this podcast. Um Hunt yep. Fish Life is where you'll find Brandon and uh actually his brothers uh, they they uh help run uh, everything that goes on there at at uh mm-hmm. HFL and then uh some of the places you can find them Instagram Facebook um also they have a web website um which is thehuntfishlife.com i have mm-hmm. that correct right yes sir and uh 
from there, you know, you can find links to uh, their their social pages and also their store. Um, a lot of cool stuff there. Um, I've I've uh, been able to uh, pick up a few things myself. Love repping the brand. It's uh, good Thank stuff. Thank you. Yeah, man. It's it's you guys have some really cool stuff. And then of course, uh, head over to firstgenhunter.com. You'll find links to all of our social pages, our YouTube channel. Um, and uh, all kinds of articles and uh, those articles numbers will uh, grow and grow as time goes on Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, all of those uh, address that our main focus which is helping uh, newer hunters but there will definitely be content on there just like I hope you're finding here on the podcast that can be very useful for experienced hunters as well Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh certainly don't think that we're only about deer hunting we love deer hunting uh, but we also address um, all sorts of other uh, uh, game species as well mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you uh, stop by there and, and and check out what we have to offer there well Brandon it's it's uh, getting late on the eastern seaboard Mm, it's, it's getting late, but you know the hunting season is getting closer, so that's the consolation. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, I, I better let you uh, hang up and go to bed, man. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure as always. Look forward to connecting again soon as we continue to enjoy the uh, anticipation of what is to come. For sure. Get out there and shoot your bow, and tune in to episode six when we uh, roll that out here soon. That's all she wrote, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation, and I really hope you learned some valuable information about how to best set up your stand for this upcoming deer season. I know I plan to re-listen to this episode multiple times and really dissect the high-level information Brandon shared with us today. Speaking of Brandon, a huge thank you to him for lending us his time for this episode, and a huge thank you to you as well for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter podcast. As always, be sure to do yourself a favor and head over to firstgenhunter.com to see all the other information I have on the site. Enjoy your weekend, shoot your bow, pattern your shotgun, work with your bird dog, and most importantly, take care and take someone hunting.